This is Claiming Your Voice with Janice Garrard. In this podcast, I feature guests with passionate stories of hope, inspiring others to claim their voice in a world where we can be bold together. Tonight, my guest is TJ, and we're going to talk about being Korean adoptees and about the importance that her adoptive father played in her life. Welcome, TJ. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a delight. So let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your adoption story. I was adopted St. Patrick's Day, 1975. I would not remember my adoption day un- unless it fell on some particular day like St. Patrick's Day. So that's the only reason why I kind of know and remember. Because it, that was a significant holiday here yeah. in the United States, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. So did you guys celebrate St. Patrick's Day or did you celebrate a a happy adoption day? Uh, Not particularly St. Patrick's Day, but I grew up with, especially my mother, um, she would always acknowledge my welcome day. I remember like not really caring about it when I was younger. I kind of dismissed it, but as an adult, I find that the day more significant to me than my actual birthday. What's your actual birthday that they gave you? March 11th, 1972. March 11th, 1972. So you were three years old when you came over. Yes, I guess approximately three years old. I mean, my birthday is made up. And I remember when I had a lot of health issues. When I came to the United States, my age being made up, I I remember seeing a lot of doctors as a kid and the doctors would like look at my bone structure and teeth structure and they would comment about how like it seems older than like my actual age given. So who knows, I could be technically older, but I really don't know. So (laughs) I go with the younger age, (laughs) right? It's always it's good to be uh, younger than what you really are, I think, especially as we get a little bit older. Since you came over when you were three, did you speak Korean when you came to the United States? Uh, no, I didn't. But I do know, like, I did receive my adoption file. And in my adoption file, it did say, like, like I spoke, like, like Uma and Appa. And so mm-hmm. I knew those basic words. But as a child, I don't remember speaking Korean. Did your parents ever tell you that you said Korean words? Uh, it was never part of a regular vocabulary in my family, I feel. So. Any Korean that you did know, then you assimilated to English pretty quickly. Yes, I, I guess I was forced to. That's understandable. Do you ever feel a loss not knowing your birth language? Well, as an adult, I do feel it now more so than as a child. I just know that as a child, like my parents did try to encourage me like about learning about the Korean language. I remember being given a Korean English dictionary and I was given a handbook as a young child. And I remember like throwing the Korean English dictionary in the trash, throwing the handbook away saying like, what's the point of like learning when... I speak English and everyone else speaks English around me. And like this handbook, it looks like a weird costume to me. Like, when am I ever going to wear this? So there really wasn't a connection. Um, There wasn't a connection, but as an adult, like I look back and I wish that like I embraced that as a child, but I'm kind of embracing all those aspects now as an adult. And as an adult, we start to understand our roots. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. In a previous conversation, 
before this conversation, you had mentioned to me that your father had played a very important role in your life. Do you want to talk about that? Um, when I was adopted, my uh, father was a Carvel ice cream store owner. And I just remember having like great memories of that time. I mean, what kid wouldn't like having a dad own an ice cream store? I mean, it was just so much fun. But he had changed professions. I was adopted to Ithaca, New York, and we moved to New Jersey because my dad, he wanted to change professions into ministry. I think moving, moving to New Jersey uh, was really hard for me because I'd, I feel like I had a happy childhood in Ithaca, but moving to New Jersey, like that's when I started to experience being bullied in school. So that was a hard time for me. How old were you when you moved? Um, the summer before fourth grade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in Ithaca, you started school with the children that you went to school with up to fourth grade. They just knew you as TJ. And then when Correct. you went to New Jersey, you were the new kid. Correct. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember this black kid. He would always like call me flat face and, uh, and I became like so ashamed. Like, mm of my nose. I mean, I was just like, like, like I want to hide myself. And like, I still remember him. I, I wish I like stood up for myself. I just kind of like, I don't know. I just took it. And as children, we don't know what to say. And sometimes children say things that are cruel. So I'm sorry yeah. you had to experience that. When you went on into junior high, then did you experience bullying? N- not so much. I think I, I experienced more of a sense of uh loneliness maybe because Mm -hmm. I didn't like really I I didn't have a lot of big social life growing up I kind of was introverted like after school I come home I really didn't like have friends to hang out with but I stayed in my room a lot so your parents then it sounds like they just kind of left you to yourself or did they try to encourage you to be involved in school activities? Well, they were concerned about how like I stay in my room a lot. And so they had me see like a psychologist one time to like have me evaluated. Like I did a lot of like I did a lot of coloring in my room, like coloring books. And I think at that time um, when I saw the psychologist, she, they mentioned that like, oh, I was just a loner and that like, you know, typical artist loner, but that she just needs to like learn how to express herself more. But there's nothing really to be concerned about her. So even the psychologist dismissed the behavior. It sounds as though they didn't have really good advice for your parents on how to maybe engage you or to draw you out of those feelings of loneliness? I just know that like, when I look back at that time, I think like, you know, everybody is like a social creature. What makes us different is like how social people are, you know, but there's always that aspect we're social creatures, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I I did, I did have that feeling of wanting to uh, connect with another person, but, I, I was not able to for some reason. I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I was, I, I was very lonely during that time. And uh, it, it's not that I didn't want to connect. It's just like, I didn't feel like 
I, I didn't have that ability. Yeah, that was unexpected. I didn't think I'd cry over that. <laughs> it's okay. We're here for you. Do you feel like your adoption played a part of that, not knowing how to reach out? I mean, it's possible, I think. I mean, yes. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just know that like my natural like personality was like being a loner and like I didn't know like it was hard for me to make that connection. And I know like there's this like, um, I, I don't know what that uh, saying is like uh, that psychological saying where like you have a hard time connecting with others. Do you still feel that way that it's hard for you to connect with other people? Um, uh, for the majority, like I, I kind of do. I mean, I, I don't like, I, I don't like like big social gatherings. I, I, I know that it's just like, I, I just, it gives me a lot of anxiety, but I feel like my life is blessed because I do have a best friend and that whom I connect with uh, very strongly. And like, I like communicate with my friend every single day. And like, I I'm not, I, I'm not sure if like, if I didn't have that one friend, I feel like my one friend I have now makes the whole world of a difference for me. Yeah. That's really great. If that's very special to have a friend that you can connect with every day and have somebody to listen yeah. Just have somebody to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Are your parents still alive? My father, he passed away and my mother, uh, she's still alive. Yeah. And your mother's still alive. Do you want to expound a little bit about your relationship with your father? How special that was to you? I, I feel like I grew up closer with my dad because when I was like 14 or so, my parents divorced and my mom is the one that left the home. And I do remember that time, the day that she left, it felt like a somber day for like me and my dad. I think that as an adoptee, it made me feel like, oh, like my mother is abandoning, abandoning me. I think because of that experience, I, I really haven't had a close relationship with her because she's the one that chose to leave. To leave. And so I really did grow up uh, closer with my dad. And you had expressed to me that your mother had left for another woman. How, um, because you had listened to one of uh, a podcast that I had done with a individual who identified as queer, and you reached out to me and had some things to say about the complexity of relationships. Do you want to comment about, about that? Correct. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm open-minded with like, with gay and lesbian people. I guess I have no, like, okay, she is who she is. Okay, that's fine. But I guess in my own feelings, in the end, she dumped my dad. She left him. Whether it was for a man or a woman, you know, she's the one that ended the marriage. And uh, that's my own personal <laughs> feeling. And like, and like, so I kind of distanced myself away from her. And I know that other people, because of, um, they want to come across as like open-minded and be, being accepting, a lot of people um, embrace her. 
which I think is good in a way, but for me personally, uh, I've distanced myself away from her just just because I feel like she, she's the one that chose to leave him and leave the family entirely. And uh, I create, and I ended up creating my own life, like with my dad instead as a family. Mm -hmm. So you, you and your father were support systems for each other then through that time. And it sounds like for that time when she left and for the time after. I I think so. But eventually um, my dad did get remarried. So like um, his second wife, I felt like kind of, I guess like she became his main support system. Now that that's all passed and you look back at that, how do you make sense of it? Right now I can maybe accept that she made her own personal choices but I find that there are some boundaries issues with my mother that I, I do not like. She decided to divorce my dad, but then in the end, like with the whole use of the internet and Facebook, she likes to like become friends with everybody on my dad's side of the family. And that rubs me off the wrong way. I feel like you just can't have both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I kind of avoid like uh, family interaction online, like because of that. Mm-hmm. So this leaves us in kind of a, I don't know, kind of a state of limbo sometimes. I, I wonder, here's my question. As an adoptee, then you said that you felt like your mother was abandoning you. Did that seem to reflect upon how you looked upon yourself when you came to this country? Did you view yourself, I guess, as an abandoned child? Yes. I mean, it hurts harder for me that my mom left the family because she ended up choosing to adopt me, you know? And then, like, she ended up choosing to leave. And then, like, as I got older, I was the last one to leave my home. Um, my sister, my brother, they, they left They left the home like right after they started college, but like I still remained home. And even after college, I remained home. I, I did not want to leave. I, I felt comfortable where I was. I had no interest in like looking for my own place. And I know like, and I know that like, it seems like the normal thing as you get older, oh, you just want to break out or break away from family. But that wasn't me. I, I just wanted to stay home. My, my dad, eventually when I was 25, he had a sit down talk with me about like, I just really need to like, learn how to leave the nest and become independent and become uh, and living on my own. And that just was heartbreaking for me to hear hear that discussion from him. I didn't do anything. He was the one that did everything. Like he made that phone call to the landlord, setting up where, setting up a meeting of when I should meet the person. He did everything. I didn't do a thing. That was hard. That was really hard living on my own at first. I think there are many young people that find that out, that it's hard to live on their own. Even if they come from a place of, oh, I want to break out and be away from mom and dad they find out it's difficult. It's not the same as having a family around. So your dad, by having you go out to be independent, how would you say that he was taking care of you by doing that? 
Well, I learned like later on, like the reason why he had that sit down talk with me because like something about like, I don't know if like this happened like after he married or he was soon to get married, I forget. But like, I remember like he went through like counseling with church counseling as a couple with his like fiance or wife. The counseling session that he went to was like, I think the minister was saying that like something about how like she's the one that that planted that idea in my dad's head that like like I need to move out because like my dad and the wife they need to like you know have their own personal lives together or, or whatever but anyways looking back at that time like if I never moved out on my own I wouldn't be in the same position where I'm at now where I do own my own apartment I mean, I own it outright. It's not, I don't rent. I, I bought my place outright. I do have my car. I own it outright. I mean, all those things, I wouldn't be where I am if I never learned how to live on my own. So in hindsight, it was very hurtful. I remember at the time I felt like I was orphaned all over again. Like my mom leaving and my dad telling me like, I need to like move out. It, it, it was very hurtful to me. But in the end, like, I made something out of my life. And like, I feel like I'm pretty proud of how far I've come and the accomplishments I've made and the go and the future goals I do have for myself and all those things. Where I'm at now wouldn't have ever happened if I was still living with my dad. You have accomplished a lot. There's not a lot of people that can say they own their own place and their car outright. That's a big accomplishment. So kudos to you. Yes. How long have you known about the adoption community? Like on Facebook, um, I don't know, in New Jersey, do they have like adoption support groups that you can belong to that you attend in person? I discovered like the adoptee community online, like when I first moved out or maybe a few years after I moved out when I first got my computer. Yeah, I think that was early 2000 and that I discovered, I think, Yahoo adoptee groups or something. And there were other Asian American online social media groups at that time. It was like uh, click to Asia. Asian Avenue and I think Yellow World that I was involved in and like it just opened up a whole new world for me that like you know I started to like you know kind of like try to engage myself in. So have you found uh, friends in those groups that are supportive of you as supportive as I mean as supportive as online people can be? I mean I remember back in 2000 like I really enjoyed myself because I did like I did click with like people and then they, they introduced me with like to Korean music and they like had their own, like they created like this, this special website where I can like click onto and like download MP3s that they had uploaded for personally for me. At that time, it was like fantastic. Like I, had a, I enjoyed myself. I feel like I have a hard time like uh, connecting people with like in person, but online I had an easier time. I don't know. Eventually, I feel like all those websites are like now obsolete, you know? And so like, I don't know what I did after that, but like uh, it, it was just recently I discovered like Korean adoptee uh, groups on Facebook. Fine, like uh, right now, sometimes I engage in the discussions, but in like real life, I feel like I still have a hard time connecting to other Korean adoptees in person. I mean, I've done the whole like uh, trying to attend like Korean adoptee gatherings and 
socially, I never really did well. And I was never, have not really connected with another Korean adoptee in person. I feel like there's a certain connection I can make online though, mm -hmm. but it hasn't really transferred like in-person connection. In-person, okay. Yeah. Okay. So have you ever been back to Korea? I have once. I attended like a Korean adoptee gathering in Seoul like a few years back. Did you go on a birth family search while you were there? Uh, it was not a birth family search. It was, I think it was the IKAA, their event that they held. I was able to go there for free because like, I don't know, I think also known as has sponsored me at that time. So okay. I was kind of great for that. But it was just like a large gathering of like Korean adoptees, not just from the US, but from Europe and like Australia. And like socially, I didn't really enjoy myself, but it was just like wild being amongst other Korean adoptees and then other Korean adoptees that had like like total like Australian accents or something that was like wild to me. <laughs> yeah, it kind of uh, creates a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. Yeah. Do you have any desire to look for your birth parents? I mean I do but like there's really no information for me. Uh, I've received my adoption file and like it doesn't lead me to anything. I do have that desire to want to know like my roots, <laughs> you know, I can accept the fact that if I can accept it, if it never happens, but um, yeah, but it's still an interest of mine. So at this present time in your life, do you feel that you're attached to the Korean culture, to that Korean history that you have? I feel I'm connected to it. I feel like because of the language barrier, I feel like I can't fully say I'm Korean. You know, I mean, I know ethnically I am, but culturally, I feel like unless I learn to master the language, I feel like I won't be fully Korean, but mm -hmm. I'll be more like an English American speaking <laughs> Korean instead. <laughs> kind of like, um, kind of like being a displaced person, right. kind of an odd situation that we have as Korean adoptees. So TJ, do you have any advice to other Korean adoptees out there that might listen to this podcast or not even advice, but just something that you want to say to them? I think in my mind, like we all do experience like our own pain and struggles. I know I experience my own like to this day, but I've learned not to have it control me. I control it instead and I control my own life and, and my own direction of where I want to go. I don't let it prevent me from like, like reaching my future goal, um, which is I, I want to retire in like five years. I'll be 55 by then. You know, I, I want to be able to like not deal with the corporate world, but like just kind of live my life the way I want to be able to create it. I don't let my setbacks like hold me back. I don't let my own pain and struggles hold me back. I do own it. I do realize it, but I don't let it control me and prevent me from doing what I want to pursue. Thank you. I think those are very wise words that we take charge, that we are in control of our destiny. Absolutely. Thank you for being a guest tonight and sharing your story.